Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Now, there are several thousand product managers on LinkedIn, and many of them are women. However, I noticed that few product VPs happen to be women. Hmm. About the same time as noticing that, I attended a Women in Product Management panel at Rocky Mountain Product Camp, moderated by Shaughnessy Spears. Afterwards, we discussed how few product VPs are women and how it would be valuable to have a panel discussion focused on women in senior product roles. Shaughnessy ran with the idea and organized another panel a few months later for a conference called Denver Startup Week, and I had it recorded to share with you. Four leaders joined the panel. Shauna Barnhart, product management leader and former VP of product at Artifact Uprising. Holly Vizina, director of product at APR Consulting. Jen Darth, product at Steady. And Anne Kerner, adjunct professor of product management at DU and former VP of product at Gutcheck. Our moderator, Shastani Spears, has been a product manager in several software organizations with depth in agile software development and business analysis. This is a longer discussion than my normal podcast episodes. The panel responds to Shaughnessy's questions for the first 30 minutes, and then the remaining time, they're responding to the audience questions. You'll find the summary of the panel discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 199. Discussion starts with Shaughnessy's first question to the panel. One of the, the, the core tenets that you hear about, about product management is is this idea that the thing that users actually need is not necessarily the thing that they're going to say that they want. And, the, and you find out through research and through discovery and learning that you mentioned uh, what the actual problem is. And I wonder, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's very, I don't know, in my experience, that's very central to the, the product management approach, right? Don't, don't treat, you know, always be questioning your assumptions and things like that. I'm wondering... Um, you know, if, if we talk, if we, if we talk about those tenets of product management or, or, you know, call them core values or, or whatever you might want to call them that a product manager, um, you, that you hold as a, as a product person or that product people should hold if they're going to be, you know, successful in building products. What do you, what do you think more of the, more of those things might be? So a core value for, um, a product manager that I think, um, if you're a product manager in the audience, you probably know this already, um, would be that curiosity aspect. Um, it's never taking something at face value, always being curious as to the why behind it and to ask those questions as you dig into it. And the other one that's super important too is that um, openness and willingness to be proven wrong um, over and over again. And actually welcome the opportunity to know that you were wrong about something because that's something that you can def- learn from and then move on from. So if you're curious and that openness to be like, Here's my assumptions that I'm making. Am I right or wrong? I'm wrong. Awesome. That's amazing. Now let me make another one and say, am I right or wrong? Wrong again. And then you just keep kind of going down that path until you feel really good about what you're working for. And that's just willingness to keep driving for what's not wrong. And I think um, uh, we went to a great session last night on resiliency. And one of the things that came out of that session is having a growth mindset. So it's kind of along the same lines, being able to to get knocked around a little bit. Um, as product people, you're, you're wrong. Um, and sometimes people don't like you much. 
So just being able to take your failures, take where you're wrong and turn it on its head and learn from it is, is really, really important. I totally agree. And you took my be curious. <laughs> um, but the other big thing I think as a core value as a product manager is you've got to create value and you've got to be able to measure that. However, whether it's through revenue, through user experience, through whatever it is, but you've got to be able to, to articulate that value and make sure that everybody in your company can articulate that same value to your customers or your users. Um, so yeah, I think of it as four things. Um, the first one is really around product vision. Uh, so like as a product leader, you're the one who's inspiring both internal and external, uh, stakeholders and users and your own team very much around like, what is, what are you building? What's the true north for yourself? Um, and I love this quote. It's by Paul Bukite, who is the original designer of Gmail. And he said to have a healthy disregard for the impossible. So as a product manager, it really is your job to inspire and say, like, why does this product exist in the world? And to, and to make sure that the team is behind you, the company is behind you, and that, um, and that will, will, will make sure that your users <laughs> will also help with your, your user acquisition. Um, the second thing I would say is around execution. So while the product vision is very much on the meta level of saying, like, how do we, like, what do we need to go do? Um, it's really important for the product manager to also be really good at execution and to be able to say, like, what is the gap between here to there? What are the milestones? How do we break down that word? Who should I put there? Um, it's a very tough <laughs> job. And then I think the third is around team development. Um, and so I talked a little bit about, like, you're the leader for your team, but to everyone, everyone else's point, you're also leading the team culture, right? So having curiosity, being open to failure, tolerating failure, um, you're very much leading that into making sure that everybody feels comfortable saying, hey, I was wrong, um, and then having and building that into the team. And then I think the last one, which is the theme of this panel, is really around grit. Um, you know, I went to the Women in Product conference in San Francisco a couple months last month, and um, the message there is like, do the hard jobs, do the jobs that like nobody necessarily wants, that is not the most glorifying, um, but stay with it and then keep with it. Sometimes we don't go for the jobs because we don't think we're qualified. Um, one thing that was super inspiring was the keynote speaker um, talked about how she interviewed for this job while she was eight months pregnant. And was like, yes, I'm going to be gone uh, for three months to be with my family. But guess what? At least that's predictable. You have no guarantee that somebody that you hire tomorrow is not going to be gone for three months or after three months. At least this is predictable. This is why you should hire me. And then she like rocked it and she owned it. And so, yeah, I think resilience and grit is very important as well. I love that. And transparency, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was obvious, but uh, yes. <laughs> Even when it's not obvious, <laughs> you should be transparent. Um, and, and to the point of, of leadership, right? Product managers are not all, are, in fact, I, I almost feel like usually product managers don't have codified authority yeah. or they're, they, ha they have actual administrative authority over, but they're trying to, to lead through influence and relationships and collaboration and things like that. Just shifting gears a little bit. So each of you, we, we talked a little bit on a high level about, about, you know, your path toward where you are. But I, I wanted to dive in a little bit, a little bit deeper on that, that growth path. What were the opportunities that you saw as the most important in your experience taking you to where you are? And if there were opportunities that maybe you missed or that you wished that you took, what are, what are the kind of those opportunities either missed or taken that shaped kind of your career and where you're at right now? I would echo what, what, um, I don't know who said it actually. Um, Take the hard jobs. Um, and, and that doesn't mean like don't, 
be the person to go make copies or go get coffee. It means find the hard problem. Find the problem that people think they can't solve and solve it. I, I think one of the, the big opportunities that I came came across that I took that I'm proud I took it. I mean, I don't know that it had anything to do with my career trajectory, but certainly my personal growth was um, a really, really hard, complex data issue and, and building a giant benchmarking report, which was um, just an incredibly hard, hard thing to do. And I knew it was going to be hard. Um, when someone was like, hey, we got this big project for this big company and, and it's going to be hard. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, so take, take the hard problems, solve the hard problems, be bold. Don't, you know, don't, don't sit back and, and, uh, take the things you know you can solve. Be scared, you know? Can I, uh, put you on the spot on yes. that for a second? <laughs> so when in the face of big, you know, I've heard impossible or unsolvable problems, is there, I know there's no pattern or method to, you know, but how do you, how do you approach those things? How do you try and even start to get your arms around those things? Uh, well, Shaughnessy, uh, <laughs> you don't climb a mountain in a day, you know? Um, I, I think that it's just, it's jumping into it. Um, I asked a question of someone I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert, so this is terrifying for me, by the way. Um, <laughs> I asked someone the other day, you know, um, when you're initiating and when you're making sales calls, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? And he just looked at me and said, you pick up the phone. You pick up the phone and you call people. Just do it. Just take that first step. And after you take that first step, the second one gets easier. The third one gets easier. And you just you climb that mountain one step at a time. Do the research. There is so much information out there these days uh, that get the data, get facts. You know, some of that research will help you become an expert in whatever industry or whatever field you're in. The data will actually make you the expert, but also give you the support that you need within the company to establish facts. Uh, there's a lot of opinions. A lot of people have their own opinions, but the data really helps bring your opinion and support your opinion. So that's that's something I would definitely advise. And in a data-driven world that we live in today, um, it's easily accessible. So to your question around opportunities, um, I would say there's some there's an opportunity that I took that I shouldn't have taken. <laughs> um, or it was good, but um, I think that for folks who are trying to get into products... Um, actually, can I get a show of hands? Um, how many people are working in product right now? Got it. And then please keep your hands up if you've been working in product longer than three years. Okay. Longer than seven years. Longer than 10 years. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think that like for the folks who are newer to product, um, I would say that before you join a company, uh, if you're really wanting to get into that role, I would say, make sure that the company has the right product culture. And what I mean by that is like making sure that they understand how to do like how you're supposed to have product design and engineering work together, how you're supposed to do the customer discovery, et cetera. Cause one, one opportunity that I took that, um, I didn't really vet out fully because I was so excited about being a product manager. Um, and that, they told me that um, at least the head of product at the time said, hey, we want to do product right. Um, but what I didn't know was how challenging it would be to move 200 people in that direction. And so while one person might be the advocate for it, um, really doing your homework to say like, hey, does this company do product right? Because if not, you're going to be spinning your wheels. You're going to be frustrated every day. Uh, and you're not going to be able to build the skills that really help you in your career. Um, and so recognizing that and then as soon as... It's not to say like... Don't give it a try. Um, but as much as you can, I guess doing research, getting the facts, really, you know, meeting the people and saying like, 
are they willing to go into these practices? Are they open to these ideas um, before necessarily joining that <laughs> joining that company? Is one one thought. And um, I'll just add a quick piece on the opportunity that I wish I would have done a little bit more. So when I was about three, four years into product management, um, I wanted to run the whole company. I wanted to do everything. And so I actually, if I would go back and coach my younger self, I would tell myself to be more patient um, and to actually go out there. And, and um, I did the jobs that I was doing really well. And I was very ambitious. And I was always asking for more, which I don't regret from that perspective. But I would also give my, want to give myself that opportunity to say, you don't know all the things that you really think that you know and actually spend that time to learn those and take that patience and really dig in from that perspective. Can I add on one more opportunity? Um, I wish I had taken, which is I wish I had taken more P&L responsibility and I wish I had pushed for that sooner in my career. Um, I think you know, in some many companies, it's really hard to separate um, what your profitability is from your product, but I encourage you to ask those questions and try. Try to figure it out because at the end of the day, that's what your that's your baby, and you want to know how it's doing and how it's performing against other ones. So go after it. You you guys kind of you, you talked to as you talked about the opportunities taken and missed. I, I you know I heard some themes about about skills that that those opportunities actually grant you. And I'm wondering, um, you know, for folks in the room that are maybe earlier in their in their careers, um, so I saw a, a, a pretty good show of hands there. Full disclosure, I was supposed to ask that question and I forgot and Jen backed me up. So thank you. What do you, what are the skills that you see as kind of table stakes for, for being a successful product manager? You know, you, you read a lot of things that are like, as a PM, do I need to build technical skills? Do I need to learn to coach? Should I dive into data? What, what are the, what are the things that I need to add to my toolkit? So from your view, what do you think is really indispensable? One thing that, um, I was thinking about when you had given us this question was, um, I came up with the word ambiguity. So if you think about that one, this is a word and the definition of it means that multiple interpretations for a situation, right? And so as a product manager, um, your job really is to take that ambiguity that your business may have, that your customers may have, and then develop that into a clear vision for your team that you're building with for the company that you're talking to. And you need to be comfortable in that space. And as we all know, a lot of people are not comfortable in that space. So it's, I think it's a really important role for products to be able to take that ambiguity that you would see around you, then make it into a clear focused vision for the team so that they can build on from that perspective. So um, that that's the one core value I would say for a product. Yeah, I would agree with that because... As a product manager, you switch industries oftentimes. And so you're in new industries, new clients, new spaces. And with that comes learning. You've got to be always learning something new, always doing research, always um, becoming an expert in a new industry. And that is kind of scary. But, you know, if you've got the openness and the attitude and the adaptability to do that quickly, um, I think that's a core tenet for a product manager in any industry, in any space. Um, on the same kind of topic, um, I feel like we get asked all the time too, like, should I go get my MBA? Um, I, you know, all four of us have MBAs. Um, and I think Shaughnessy's working on one too. I don't have an MBA. MBA. (laughs) (laughs) It was a master's of science in biomedical technology. (laughs) It was not an MBA. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, honestly, I, I am in camp Get Your MBA. It's, it's another one of those opportunities to learn and lay a foundation for, for all of this other information that you're going to have to take in as a sponge. Um, an MBA gives you kind of a very broad overview of a company. And as a product manager, you need to have a broad understanding of a company. Um, so more tactical, but yeah, I would recommend it. I just recently reread all of Jeff Bezos's Amazon shareholder letters, um, and so I think that so you don't need to <laughs> I think that um, the table stakes is to be customer obsessed, right? And so, um, of anything like all these things around like curiosity, everything that everybody's mentioned, like doing research, learning. But I think at the end of the day, all of that is in service of being customer obsessed. And so, um, to the best of your ability, like living and breathing what that customer is like, and knowing um, and, and making. Oftentimes, making decisions that are not necessarily the best for the business, but would be better for your customer. Whether that means cannibalizing a line of business that you already have, uh, but you know that at the end of the day, it's going to make your customers more loyal to you. It's going to be better for um, their lives. Then I'd say make that choice. And so, um, and and part of that also means being able to convince everybody else. So I guess both co- being customer obsessed and then having the communication skills to be able to present your case. Are there ways that you think that, you know, either elements of your personal experience, whether your background or elements of your personal identity shaped or influenced the course of your career? Again, so I think all of us are moms. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I like to write. Um, So one of the blog posts I was getting ready to write was about my three and a half year old. Um, because there's nothing like a child to teach you patience. <laughs> um, you know, you, you have this little person that's running around being crazy and, and they're just constantly trying to, um, endanger their lives. <laughs> and you just have to be very, very patient. And I, I tell you, that has shaped so much of my identity in the last five or six years, um, and made me more patient and, I think developed me into a better product manager because I listen better. Um, I, you know, when, when someone's acting up at work, it's like, Hey, I got this. I have a three and a half year old. Um, so I would say definitely being a mom. Um, I would say that, uh, in a weird turn of events, um, basically I had a C-section and I had back surgery within four months of each other after having my first child. Um, that was really hard. And when we came out to Colorado, um, on a whim, because somebody had said Colorado was great, my husband and I were like, wow, people really prioritize health and wellness here in Colorado. And, um, it was something that really stuck with us. So then two months later, when Pivotal Labs reached out about their DC office, um, I looked and I was like, oh, they have a Boulder office. Um, and so I, I was, I asked if I could apply for that instead. And two months later, we moved out to Colorado. Um, and so what I would say is like in, uh, in all that you do, just pausing and saying like, thank you. Like this is an important experience, even if it looks, looks like it's the most terrible thing that's ever happened in your life. <laughs> I also had like slight baby blues and it was really difficult, um, with the, with, with that whole, I guess, six months of my life. And so, um, but through that, you know, kind of along the panel theme around like resilience and grit, um, you know, some of these experiences are the hardest experiences of your life, but they will be the ones that shape you the most. Mine's going to be less about the mom because I did the whole mom thing as well, or I'm still doing it, I should say. Um, 
Mine are older, 13 and 11. But um, the second piece that I would actually look at is that uh, coming from a math background, um, and if you were to do some of these other things, I am very uh, rational theory. Um, I I um, sometimes will put emotions to the side. And then I think also being a woman and in technology and being one of the only women in the room most of the time throughout my career, I would even take that to an extreme where I'm like, I'm not going to show any emotion whatsoever. And it hasn't been until the last couple of years where you start thinking about it from a leadership perspective that what happens outside of work for people is just as important as what happens inside of work too. So for me, with that personality of like, okay, we just push that stuff aside and we're here to do work. Um, I've been developing differently where I'm like, okay, it's important for us to be able to share personal information. It's important for us to know um, about the challenges that we're going through, like what Jen went through or those issues. And it makes us who we are and it makes us build a better, stronger team together where we can build that safe environment where we trust each other and we can work together together. So I thought of a story to tell, uh, and but I hesitate to tell the story because I don't want you guys to take it the wrong way. Um, but when I was younger in my career, I had a boss that told me, Ann, you are unfireable. You are a female, you're pregnant, and you're Asian. And he was actually one of my biggest supporters. And I was like, but I am damn good. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, and he's one of my biggest supporters. We stay in touch. He's actually one of my mentors. But the point is that, you know, at the time I was like, okay, that's great. I check your boxes for diversity. I do all these things, but I want you to know me from my work experience and my work ethic. And that's what, that's what gets me the seat. That's what gets you each of these opportunities. And that's really what should shine through. I, I love to hear you talk about, especially Shauna, what you're saying, where some of these, the, the qualities that you get from these experiences actually turn into really all of you touch on this a little bit. They actually turn into assets, right? They turn into ways that give you, you know, you, more, you, you spoke about, about, about patience, but parenting gives you the, the uh, crazy amount of grit, right? Like, <laughs> uh, and collaboration and, and, and showing that, that vulnerability to help you build those teams in the way that, that a product manager without authority, right? Who has to lead through, influ- through those influences and relationships has to be able to, to have that vulnerability sometimes. That's, that's really interesting. We've talked about kind of our own personal experiences, how they've, how they've shaped our trajectory, but I'm curious about with others, how, you, you know, you actually touched on a couple of examples. You, you touched on an example of, of someone who kind of gave you a, a little bit of a, <laughs> a helpful box, right? Like, <laughs> so what are the ways that others have contributed to your growth? And this is, can be either positively or negatively. Um, so actually I had, um, one of my bosses and one of the leaders I still think of to this day, um, the way she very early on in my career, she actually brought me out, brought me into a room to do the review and gave me really strong critiques on things that I was doing, um, poorly, not poorly, but I could be doing better. And since that day, um, I always am looking for that kind of leader for me to be around. And I want to be that person as well, because it you need to be able to hear the things that you're not doing right. And you need to be able to hear ways that you can be getting better. And she, like, I thank her for that because she did it in such a way that it really made you say, okay, I can do this better. She cared about where I was coming from and really pushed me in the right direction. Um, and so since that day, I seek this out from other people too. Like, if you're not telling me something that I'm doing or that I can be doing better, then please do like find something. It's pretty easy. I'm, I'm sure sometimes but find something, tell me because I'm continuously wanting to get better. Yeah. I'd like to further defend this boss mentor. <laughs> I'm <of mine>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, 
same, I mean, the same person, the reason why he could say those things to me is because he trusted me and we had a level of openness that we were comfortable sharing those things. And I think, you know, in my career, you've had mentors that will know you personally and professionally. And when they are comfortable and trust you, they will share these constructive criticisms and areas for you to grow on. So I encourage you to be vulnerable, to share things, um, you know, with people that you want to learn from. Um, I think it's, it goes both ways. So I was thinking a bit about, I guess, um, aside from mentorship, the difference between mentorship and sponsorship, which uh, some of you all might be familiar with. Um, so mentorship is when, you, ever, you know, if you say sort of informally, uh, if you have questions, come to me and I will help you um, and try to advise you. Uh, I would say look for sponsors because sponsorship is the person who works at your organization and says, I will put my neck on the line for you. Um, and I, it's going to be a stretch goal for you. And it's something that you haven't done before. Um, and I'm willing to invest in you. Um, and so I'd say like, look for sponsors and where you are and who that might be. Um, an example of this would be, um, at a previous company I worked at, uh, there was a woman who, uh, seated an office in, at an international office. And then afterwards, after that experience, she came back um, to the States and they said, okay, we're going to um, give you another opportunity. It's going to be awesome. Now you can seed uh, another office. And she was like, I've already done that, <laughs> right? Like I've done that before. And so really being able to like keep keeping an eye open for like opportunities that are um, truly something that's going to be a next step for you as opposed to something um, that you've done before. And so it's guaranteed and therefore people are uh, investing in you in that way. Um, and then I guess the other question would, or the other thing I thought about with this question is this idea of being a mentor to others. And so, uh, when you think about what the skills might be for that, I would highly recommend the book, uh, Radical Candor. If you haven't read it yet, um, it's this idea that, uh, you have to challenge directly, but doing it with lots of empathy and the top right corner, cause we all love two by twos cause we're product managers, um, is like radical candor is really being able to like, you care deeply about the person, but you're going to challenge them directly. Um, and so if you do have any mentees, uh, I think this is just a friendly reminder to say, um, have radical candor, um, to your mentees. Cause that's a really important, uh, position for, uh, they're, they're putting a lot of trust in your time. So. And stole one of my book recos. <laughs> um, I would also recommend Crucial Conversations just as product managers, not really a, as, as an aside here. It's a really great book to talk about how to have hard conversations. On the mentor topic, I, I feel like I get asked all the time, how do I find a mentor? Where do I get a mentor? Where are all the mentors hiding? Um, uh, I would totally recommend um, Colorado Product. If you're a product manager, you know, get on the Colorado Product Slack. Uh, they do a mentor program every year. That's how I found my mentor. Um, and then also, I think Women in Product also has a mentor network. And I, I was having an interesting conversation last night where, um, you know, it's you already have mentors in your life. You know, I mean, everybody has friends or people they call confidence that they know that will have those direct conversations with you. You already have mentors. Um, what's nice about having a mentor that, that may not be a part of your life is, um, they're going, they're going to be able to like remove the bull. <laughs> so if you have a friend who you go to for professional stuff, they want to take care of you too. You know, they want to make sure you're okay. Where a mentor that might not know you personally is going to go, uh, uh, you know, you think this is what the problem is. It's not, it's this, and you should work on this. Um, all back to that growth mindset. Find a mentor who can challenge you and, and make you face your problems directly. 
So you're definitely coming out of this with some book recommendations. We have the growth mindset. We have crucial conversations. We have radical candor. So I hope you're taking notes. We, we talked a little bit about, about how to find a mentor, but I'm really interested in this. You, you touched on it yourself, this transition from, you know, being a mentee to being a mentor. And I feel like once you get, once you're in this, this product leadership and folks are asking you for advice and inviting you to panels <laughs> and things like, how do you, how do you kind of go through that? You may be a mentee and a mentor at the same time, right? How do you manage that? And how do you start thinking of yourself as, as a mentor? I think that mentorship is actually really, really natural in product. Um, we all thrive on feedback. We're all looking for feedback. We're all asking questions. It's a very, very natural fit um, in in our um, realm. Um, so I I think there's a certain point where you realize you're you're giving and you're taking. It's a relationship in solving others' problems or issues. You are um, also solving them for yourself. So. That's a really good point. Um, it is very natural. One thing that I really liked uh, about something that somebody said once, I can't remember who it is, so I can't credit them. Um, but it's basically saying like engineers, they have output, right? Their output is code. Designers, their output are mockups or wireframes. Um, for product managers, your output is your opinion. So it doesn't matter what you do. You just have to have an opinion. And then you have to be able to communicate that opinion and you need to be able to, um, try to convince folks to, to move in that direction. And so to the point around, like, as you move from being a mentee to a mentor, um, yeah, have an opinion so that, uh, whenever anybody asks you about product, if anybody asks you about things even not related to product, um, have an opinion, I would say. I, I mean, to mentor, um, I think you just have to, understand the person you're talking to and work through with them. And when people have asked me for my opinion, um, in general, I almost learn as much when I'm talking to them as, um, as I hope that they would learn from me, um, or even from the questions that they're having to me. I don't, the mentor mentee relationship I think is important, but more importantly is just, um, having empathy and talking with each other and then learning what you can from everybody because we do go across so many different industries. And so there's so much more to learn all the time. And I'd also say it doesn't always have to be a formal relationship. You know, I think what we're saying is it can happen naturally. You can seek someone in your company or someone that you've met or, you know, one of us and say, hey, could I get a cup of coffee? Um, but come with some ideas or some scenarios or, you know, something, some areas that you want to grow on. Have some, some way to start the conversation and help the conversation along. Um, and you may find that that relationship will grow or maybe it was just kind of a, you know, I, I got what I needed or, you know, it was a nice meeting you, but um, try not to force it either. I think that it, naturally it, it comes. What, what advice do you have uh, on, uh, for, for, product, for folks in product, either you know, starting out or, or getting toward that product leadership level, on how they can use their, their own power to, to advocate on behalf of others growing their careers in product, that sponsorship, as it were? I would say that there is... Uh, there was a merge lane leadership camp, um, in Boulder. Uh, it's head up by Sue and, um, and her name is Leah. And, um, basically one book that they had, this is another book recommendation called the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And so this one, yeah, it was great. It was, uh, it was also the first time I went to a professional work event where they had, um, the Enneagram in as like a, as like the first half of the first day. Anyways, long story short is, um, I would say that just remembering that you're a leader, right? And, uh, you're a leader, whether you're on a team of four, if you're on a team of 
15 or 20. And so one thing that I love about that book, uh, just a very simple framework is, are you above the line or are you below the line? When you're above the line, it means you're open, you're curious, you're playful, you're thinking about, you're brainstorming and you're, you're thinking about all the different ideas without necessarily having any ego. When you're below the line, you are closed and you have to be right. And, um, there's only one right way and, and everything feels really, um, very serious uh, and the stakes feel really high. And so just having enough um, self-awareness to notice like, am I above the line right now or am I below the line? And when you're below the line, you're not going to be in a position to like make great decisions um, because you're not going to be listening and you're not going to, because you're going to be wanting to prove yourself right. Um, and so as you transition into more of a leadership role, um, that's, I felt like as a really quick and easy gut check to say like, am I above the line or am I below the line? Virtually was my accelerator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we went through weeks of uh, above the line and below the line. And so when you would have your mentor conversations with Sue, she'd be like, are you below the line right now? And you're like, no, I am not below the line. I am so above the line. You don't know what you're talking about. But um, So that's the side of the point. If you're advocating in general for product and product leadership, um, I have had the opportunity to go in there and have people who are saying, we want to do product, we want to do product right. Um, and we are not necessarily there where we're doing this next collaboration where we're necessarily product customer led. Um, and so in those instances, what I always say is that you do come out and say like you consistently and persistently talk about how you do product and why you're doing what you're doing. And then you show the results. So you give one little bit of result, and then you could do the same thing over and over and persistent and consistent and then show the next result. And then it really does help advocate for product and product leadership in the groups that you're in. So it can take some of the, like some of the product managers that I've talked to, their challenges, they come to me saying, I feel more like a project manager, or I feel more like people are just giving me features to do. And then I'm going and executing on them, which execution is part of it. But to elevate that up there to being more of the product leadership piece, um, do come back and always ask the why do come back and show why talking to customers, why bringing in data, comparing what customers say versus what they do are important, how taking opinions out of it is important. Um, and so you're making it more objective when you're making the decisions that go through the, the pipeline. Yeah. I would just emphasize the why I always explain why. Uh, yeah. I, I think always driving things back to the objective. My, my big thing, it seems kind of uh trite, but um, lead by example. So if your culture supports it, be the first person to say, I failed. Be the first person in the room to say, I'm sorry. Be the first person in the room to say, I don't know. Um, so lead by example. Show your team you know, what you want them to be. And all of a sudden, you'll start seeing them transition as well. Um, but giving them kind of that safe space and the, the emotional security to um, fail and to get it wrong. A full circle to grace, gracefully failing, gracefully apologizing, being vulnerable. All right. Uh, so at this point, I would love to give the opportunity for the audience to ask some questions. You can ask a question to anyone on the panel, or you can ask a question to someone specifically, put somebody on the spot. <laughs> we'll start here and I'll try to repeat everyone's questions. Uh, the question is, when you're new in a role and learning an industry, how do you, how do you get yourself oriented to that new industry? Is that... Do, so new industry, new organization, how do you build that authority as a product man management person and leadership? Yeah. One thing that um, I would do is focus on what you are bringing to the organization first. So um, if you're changing industry as a product manager, you are bringing in your product management discipline, you're bringing in your practices, you, you're bringing in your knowledge on how to run products, on how to execute and how to do a vision. 
So then from that perspective, as you're learning the industry, then you go and find your SMEs in that company and you start learning from them. And you start saying that like, you go to them and you build those relationships where you go and say to Holly's point, I don't know this. I need to learn this. Can you teach me? And then going to people and asking them those questions and telling them that they are the expert because they are, it builds this nice bond and relationship for you and for them that you can then start getting some of that authority that you would need to know what you're doing to, to start understanding the industry you're going. So focus on what you know, what you're bringing to the table, and then find those people who can teach you the things that you need to learn. I've started at a lot of companies, and I actually have a checklist that I use (laughs) because I'm just a checklist kind of girl. Um, But there are four categories that I always go into a new company and say, I need to learn about the product. So I do a deep dive, and I get into the product, like roll up your sleeves and play and break it and the second category is relationships. So going into SMEs, interviewing customers, and you go in with the right attitude, right? You're here to learn. So product, relationships, third is customers. So really understanding who your customers are, who your top customers are, who your prospective customers, um, and interview them because you're coming in new. You've got a pass for the first couple months to get to really know this business. And the fourth category was the industry. So try whatever trade articles, uh, you know, whatever sort of industry trends, blogs that you can follow and read those. And those are usually the four categories. And I'm happy to share my checklist with you if you want. It may not relate to your industry, but um, those are just the categories that I go into. So Anne covered a lot of what I was going to say. Thanks, Anne. Uh, the other thing I would only add is, um, yeah, ask as many questions as possible, right? Like um, you ha- you have a grace period uh, when you're going. So there are no uh, wrong answers, but you want to build and then like not ask the same questions, obviously. Um, and then from there, it can also be kind of like a mini product that you're managing, which is like, oh, how do I, how do I um, ask the whys? How do I uh, even do like a Trello board around like, um, what am I learning? Like who is, who has said what? What are the trends that I'm noticing? Maybe even color coding et cetera, but like um, kind of treating it as if you were doing customer discovery, but for yourself um, around an industry. You want to stay way above the line um, is just making sure you're, you're totally open. Just stay totally open and ask the dumb questions to Shauna and Ann's point. It's, it's how you build the relationships. Let those people be the expert and let them tell you in that process. They also become champions for you as well. Stay way above the line and just, There's- yeah, there's Stay one there. more thing I just remember too, which is, um, uh, this is, you're also bringing value by being a new person because you have fresh eyes. And so if you have fresh eyes, they're also going to be looking at you to say like, wait, why is there not a better way to do this? Like, why is there not a way? And then you also are bringing in value because you're able to think through like, oh, like how come we aren't doing it this other way? And so, yeah, just keeping an eye open for fresh eyes. Another question? All right. So the question is, how necessary is it to have a, a master's or an MBA? Uh, and how much did it help you in, in your careers? Yep. So I, I can do, I have a master's of science and math and I have an MBA. So um, if we go with the master's of science and math, like that helped me with my math stuff. And it was just because I was geeky and wanted to study more math. <laughs> and I didn't have a plan for it. Um, what was interesting is that when I went through and did the telecommunications systems work, I got so slotted into telecommunications systems work that for me, I was kind of stuck in that industry. When I would go to talk to other people, the only thing I really knew was the nitty gritty network connections and this goes here. And, you know, it was just very... For me, I was kind of stuck in that world and I was having a hard time figuring out how to come out. So when I went to go for my MBA, 
it actually was an opportunity for me to, to take a broader look at all the different realms in the business world and to say, here's the areas that I want to plan. Here's what I want to do. Here's the things that I don't know. So I specifically didn't know a lot of things about business that I went back to the, that I thought I knew. And then I went to the MBA and I learned them. So it was very helpful for me from that perspective. I do think that, um, if I were more disciplined, what I could have done and not necessarily spent the money on the MBA is I could have gone studied on my own, read more books, talked to more people, gone out and done some mentor, might have taken a longer time, would not have been as obvious as a checkbox that you're talking about. Um, but I think you could accomplish that in a similar fashion if you want to learn that broader business industry. So I had an undergraduate in business, and then I went back to get an MBA again. And now I'm teaching in an MBA program. <laughs> so I'm all about school, apparently. Um, but what I'd say is it's, it may be for you, it may not be for you. It really depends on what you're looking to get out of it. Uh, I went back to get my MBA primarily because I wanted to focus on e-commerce. So I had a specific skill set that I was going after at the time. Um, in the class that I'm teaching for Daniels, I'm actually having my students take a product idea and go through the whole con- you know, concept, strategy, development, and execution. They're creating wireframes and user stories as well as the launch plan. So it's a class I wish I had had. In product management, because you get pragmatic marketing, but you really don't get to take a product all the way through. And that's something that I want to give these students that capability. Uh, and I wish there were more classes like that for aspiring product managers, because a product manager really does touch so many of the subjects that you get in an MBA, you know, the finance, the marketing, all of that. So if you're looking to better understand that and you've got some experience and you want to head in the direction, I think it's a, it's a fabulous way um, to learn more. So I would say that like as the person who doesn't have an MBA, <laughs> but I did study business in my undergrad. Um, these, the, the main thing is, is around uh, models. If you know the frameworks and models, then you're fine. I would say you don't have to spend the money for an MBA. Um, I think that they are pretty costly, but it also does say that you have to be pretty deliberate and diligent. And if you're working full time and you want to like take the time to go and take these classes um, online for free, I think it's sufficient and it's definitely uh, more than sufficient. Um, if you do take, if you're diligent enough to do it and have it planned out. Um, so the Silicon Valley product group, uh, the Marty Hagen's group, they actually have an article about this as well. Um, one of the half of them have MBAs and half of them don't. And so, um, it's really as long as you understand the content that an MBA would teach you around frameworks and models. Um, I would say it probably isn't necessary. It's, it's nice, um, for sure, but, um, I wouldn't say it's necessary. Right here. All right. What are the tools we're using for tickets and roadmaps and the tools of the trade right now? I'm using Pivotal Tracker <laughs> as a former pivot. Um, uh, uh, let's see. What else? I use Trello a lot. Um, we use Trello a ton for user discovery. And so there's a great um, Trello template. If you haven't seen it, it's by Jessica Crab, who is also a pivot. Um, and basically like, is a really great template. Um, if you want to reach out to me afterwards, I can send it out too. I think it's been a great tool for synthesizing uh, user discovery, customer discovery. Um, so I've actually used all the tools that are out there. And for me, I would actually say I'm kind of tool agnostic as long as the team is using it in the way that works best for the team. Um, so I've used Pivotal Tracker, love it. Um, use Jira. Actually, I used Jira probably 10 years ago, back when it was called Grasshopper or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and now they don't call that anymore. But it, it's so much better now that I do like Jira again for tracking tools. 
Um, road mapping, um, I actually have not gone out and done a road mapping tool. I am still um, a spreadsheet junkie um, when it comes to roadmaps. Um, and so I will always end up putting it into a spreadsheet. And then, of course, when I go and put it into like a board, I put it into a nice slides presentation. But in the end, it's all messy inside a spreadsheet for a roadmap. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I will do, take on any tool that the team will use. So Jira, uh, Pivotal Tracker, I've used Rally, I've used Version 1. Um, all the tools are great. Uh, for road mapping, I have used an evaluated product plan and AHA um, for road mapping, which are great. But ultimately, I actually use a lot of Google Docs, primarily because you can share it and you can the whole company can get access to it. And I, I encourage that for transparency. We would totally agree. Um, I, this is actually one of those things that I tend to um, talk to my engineering teams and my designing teams about. Like, what to, what tools are going to make you effective? Because that's my job, is to make you effective. Um, and I, one of the other things that I would say and relates to the core tenants is being scrappy. We haven't talked about being scrappy. As a product manager, you should be scrappy. So the idea of Google Sheets and Excel and things like that, use them. Oh, my gosh. Like... Give give your team the tools that are going to make them effective and help you to communicate your product vision. I do want to just build on what Anne said real quick too with the transparency of Google Docs. Like the roadmaps that I have, um, the is an open link that anybody in the company can get to and look. You can see the roadmap as I'm trying to change it at the same time, um, and it really gives that nice transparency to the company that what you're working on and why. Um, and then it, it takes some of the mystique out of it where there's not this hidden, like, I'm going to reveal the product roadmap. Like, no, the product roadmap is here anytime you want to look at it or ask me a question. Right here? All right, so the question is about the level of technical knowledge and how much depth in technical knowledge is required in product management. For for me, it's kind of been the um, uh, makeup of your technical team. Like, what, what does your engineering team expect? Do they have someone that is kind of more on the product side who can have a conversation with you? Um... I just because I'm a product manager, I like learning everything I can. So if there is a problem and I have an engineer tell me we can't do that, I want to know why. And we're going to talk about it and they're going to teach me. So um, through that process, I think I've learned a lot about technology. Um, but I think that really does depend on kind of the makeup of your engineering team. And if they have someone that kind of crosses over into product, like a lot of times now you see um, technical product owners um, and then you have a product manager who's more um, strategy focused. And, and I'll give you my famous answer of it depends on <laughs> what you're doing. Um, because I actually, if you look at product management, I would say as a product manager, you need to be broad across all the skills. You need to, you need to know business. You need to know product. You need to know the customers. You need to know technology. So you need to know all these things. And then there's areas where you're going to go deep and you might have heard of the product. T model um, where you go deep into certain areas. And so there are product managers that will go deep technically. And like, that's where I would have started because I did start as an engineer, very deep technical. Um, now I can go deep on business and technology and probably deeper on business. Um, I think the more important aspect is it is to develop that trust with your engineering team. So they trust you to represent them correctly when you're talking about um, what you're building next and why you're building it this way and the direction that you're going. And so having that enough knowledge of your technical stack and the knowledge of what you're building and how you're building it to be able to represent it correctly to your clients into the business. 
Great question. I think this is an age-old question for people who are uh, moving into product. Like there was a long time where Google only hired product managers that they had an engineering or a CS degree. I think by and large, the industry is changing. Um, I think what they're starting to realize is the value of a product manager is more than just its technical ability, but it really does depend on the organization. If the organization values engineering, um, right now I am working with four engineers every single day and um, some of the technical discussions in order for me to facilitate, which is also a skill set that's important for product managers to have, is you do have to understand the context, right? And so as long as you feel confident around the context, so one big thing we just did was moving from object-oriented to functional programming. And so being able to say like, okay, I'm going to read as much as I can to understand like, how is it different when you are, you know, tagging graphs and you're using, um, everything's data is data and you're not actually having to define classes anymore. Like understanding things on a high level so that when you're having these technical discussions, you can like, um, intelligently say like, lead the discussion because the goal of facilitation is to move people from point A to point B. And so knowing where you want to, you have to at least know where point B is. Um, and then, and then as the conversation molds, moving people towards it. So I think, um, again, it depends. <laughs> yeah, I agree with all of you. The only thing I'd add is, you know, I really like data. So I'll play with pivot tables in Excel all day long. Uh, it's not technical, but it's, it, the value I think I bring is, you know, the analysis and the interpretation. Um, and from a broad perspective, I feel like that also adds to the conversation. But no, I don't have a computer science degree. I have an MIS degree, so I, I like databases. So the question is, what advice do you have for people who are product managers in companies that may not yet get this product thinking thing that has evolved a bit over the last 10 years? So, I mean, I've been in that role so many times where, um, and I, I mentioned this a bit earlier, and I would say my advice inside that area would be, again, to always come back and say, this is the reason why we're doing it. These are the results people are doing. This is, um, so even doing a small test too, saying like, starting off and saying like, here's an area where we can slice this off. Let's try to do this with the product thinking and see what the results are um, and show the, that you're going to be getting better results. You build something that was stronger, that was better, that users might want by doing a small slice and then take a larger one. And then eventually you'll start moving people more into that piece. And just know that while everybody will say that they are open to change, the change makes us uncomfortable, just like critique make us, makes people uncomfortable. So knowing that people are going to be that uncomfortable area, but then being that empathetic to why it's making them uncomfortable and then helping them through it. So the transformation piece Jen was talking about change also is that part of where you're breaking something or there's something they're comfortable and they know and you need to move them forward. Um, so I would start with something small if, if they're really adverse to what you're trying to do and then show results from that and then build on top of it. Yeah, I totally agree with what you were saying with you've got to explain why. If it's new within a company, that void has been filled somehow, whether it's the sales or your client services team or the CEO. So and you've got to understand, okay, this is a transition that you're making within the company. And when you're coming in new, you want to explain why I'm doing this, why I'm taking this small test, but also solicit the support of the folks that have been carrying that ball for you um, and engage them and help them also establish kind of this new process and this new role in the company. So everything... Um the other two brilliant women have already said. Um, in, in addition to being able to even carve out a small test, though, is that you have to form alliances and you have to be able to even get the resources to be able to that small test. And so um, whatever it takes, you know, thinking about everything is being, not, every, everything's a dotted line. You don't have any actual hierarchy. Um, so how do you be able to use your um, personal skills, your more intangible tacit communication to be able to um, pull people onto that side and um, ship fast, ship often and do it do it as 
fast as you can and results will change people's opinions. Also, if you're there for six or six months or 12 months and you're not seeing any results, then I would say maybe go to a different place because sometimes it's too hard. Sorry. That's probably an unpopular opinion. Harsh. (laughs) Um, True though. (laughs) I think this is actually a really, really hard question. Um, This is kind of a really important area of influence. I have done some very strategic things in companies I've worked for before where I know that, you know, one of my managers is a huge fan of Apple, right? So I will send him articles about product at Apple, you know? Um, so it's being able to kind of figure out how to influence those people and kind of bring them to the dark side with product thinking. It's the explaining why, but it's all... <laughs> It's also, you know, making them understand um, how it can make you as an organization more effective and connecting it to them personally. Um, as we know, with organizations, all change starts at the executive level. So um, finding some champions there, creating some champions there, influencing there um, will help drive that change. All right. Any more questions? Oh, we've got someone right in the back here. All right. So the question is around diversity in the workplace and how do you build your teams as female leaders in the workplace? Yeah. Uh, I am spending about a third of my time recruiting. Um, and that's, I don't say that lightly. Uh, I did not think that a product person would be spending 30% of their, 33% of their time recruiting. I've been spending a ton of time on recruiting. Um, I would say that like, I've read Jennifer Kim. She used to work at Lever and she does a, uh, she's left Lever now and, uh, which is an applicant tracking system. And she's basically gone off on her own and does, um, diversity and inclusion training and her, all of her work is amazing. Um, I would say that if you have any role, um, when we think about diversity, I would say that one, think about where your power is, right? So like everybody has different levels of power, whether it's in your community, whether it's at work, whether it's at home. Um, but really recognizing where you have power and then, and then whether it's something as small as like, Oh, that person just got talked over and like, I want to be able to like bring out what they said versus Hey, I actually have hiring decision rights and I can actually t- say like who gets to shape, um, our company and what do, who gets to like, who's working here, who's going to be at value, adding value in terms of diversity of opinion and all these things. So depending on where your power is, um, I would say hold it. Um, it's, it's important, right? It, with responsibility comes, um, with great power comes great responsibility. And even if it's something small, you don't feel like it's um, necessarily a big deal with, you have a direct report that asks, Hey, I want to take off this uh, weekend. Cause I want to go, or I want to take off uh, a week, et cetera. If, if you say, if you say <laughs> some places you can't take off weekends, um, if they want to say like, Oh, I want to take this time off and you say, hell yes, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal to that person. And it might not seem like a big deal to you. Um, but it is like wherever you have power, just like empowering people who, um, report to you, whether it's, and, and then I would say, yeah, just think about where you have power, if it's in hiring, then, then hire well, like read all the articles you can about like our internal biases, um, all of the, all the unconscious bias. Uh, if it's around promotion, like really, really questioning all your assumptions around it. Um, I think diversity and inclusion is the foundation of a company's culture and it's a lot easier to get rid of tech debt than it is to get rid of diversity debt. The only one thing I want to do is it's an old one from back when they created voicemail. Um, and I know, has anybody ever heard this one before? So they had um, a bunch of engineers that were creating voicemail, and they were all male engineers. And when they actually went through and um, tested it, and a woman went tested it, they actually couldn't record the woman's voice on the voicemail because they weren't testing 
at that frequency, which is, to me, when you think about diversity, it's a very simple example, but it's one of those ones that's very powerful from a diversity perspective. I, I am going to read this book that um, Jen's talking about because as a leader of the team, when I started this, people said to me, you will always be hiring. And I thought, no, that's not true. And then when you get into a product leadership position, you're always hiring. And so figuring out how to hire diversity in the right way um, is something that I need to learn myself. So if you have more um, thoughts on that, please share with me. <laughs> so sidebar, if anybody's looking, these ladies are hiring. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, the one thing I'd add with hiring, and it's such an honor when you get to hire and build your team because it's just really fun, and I love interviewing. Um, but I, I like to hire based on skills. Um, I like to build out the skill set. Your team is like a puzzle, and you're trying to figure out, okay, I need someone who understands visualization. I need someone who knows Tableau. I need you know someone who's just a really good you know expert in this industry, whatever it is. But figure out what that puzzle looks like and try to to fit those skills in the right pieces. Yeah, just to add on to that, I, I look, at, I take hiring very seriously too. It's, it's, it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And I look at it like I would a product. So when I'm building a team, I'm building a product. And I think about what I'm building, why, who are the users, who, what are their needs, and then try and build a team that in, in some ways mirrors that. All right. Who's next? Oh, right here. Talk about <laughs> when you stay and when you go. I love how to the point that is. Uh, you go when you stop learning. It seems like such an easy answer, but for me, you know, there's a point where you realize you're not learning anymore and your brain's not getting bigger. You can coast, but why? You know, you're a product person. You want to learn. So leave when you're not learning. Another one too that is just more um, a personal philosophy for myself is I've gone places before where I let my head choose for me. Um, against what my gut actually thought and me being very analytical, that seems like the proper thing to do. Um, and then the couple of times where I've let my head choose, whether I stay, whether I go, whether I move, whether I take a job, um, those were bad decisions for me. Um, so I actually then take a moment now to say, what would it feel like for me to stay? What does it it take that moment and live with it for a couple of days? And then you do that. What does it feel like if I left? And then take that moment and feel that for a couple of days and then kind of get a judge of yourself um, and say which one's good and which one's right. Because I think as product managers or as someone who likes to rationalize everything, I can rationalize either one. And so that's the tool that I use to help me decide. Actually, that's really good. Um, I would say that these thought experiments um, that you just sort of play out are really powerful. So like, even when we think about hiring, after we finish interviewing somebody, we say like, we obviously, um, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, it's important to like have scorecards. But a thought experiment that we always challenge ourselves to say, like, is if this person took a job with our competitor, how would we feel? Um, how would we feel about working with this person day in and day out? Like, would I feel super lucky to be able to work next to this person every single day? Um, I think to your point, like those gut feelings are really, really important. And I also really like the, you go when you stop learning. That's really, really good. I don't have anything else to add. I'm worthless. <laughs> <laughs> All right. More questions? Okay, so the question is looking to move more from more from web design into product design and looking for advice or what, what they're looking for in, in a product designer. So when it comes down to the difference between the two of them, um, and if you're trying to craft your portfolio in a different way, um, start with the user and the user problem 
and then how you're solving that. So even if you're not thinking about that, or maybe you are thinking about in the web design, when I've hired product designers before in the past or designers who wanted to move into product management, um, generally there's a nice overlap with that desire to really have strong user input to what you're designing. Um, and it's just a matter of you pulling that out and really highlighting that piece when you're talking about it. Because product design really is about here's the problem and here's how we solved it and then here's the results. So that really helps for me. I would also add, understand the analytics. Yes. Um, that's a key part to a product designer. And again, it's that data that helps guide you of why you're creating the designs or why the, the paths that you create for your users. But really try to find, there's lots of tools out there as well um, to leverage that information and that data. And um, one, I think this is out there, the, the prompt that we have for product designers that we had at Pivotal Labs was this idea of like, how would you design a um, ping pong matching app? And and then you actually have to like whiteboard it out. And so like this idea of having an eye for like, what kind of products do you like? What are the right experiences? What are the right questions to ask to be able to really put yourself in the, the shoes of that user? And so a lot of folks might not work in an open office, office space where you play ping pong on your, on your break. So then asking the question of like, is it normal that like, do people have Slack open? Do people not have Slack open? Do they have, um, are they able to check their email? What, like what medium are, are, are users using often? So it fits fluid, fluidly into their workflow. Um, and so really having the, the mind to a, an eye for like, what is the user and bringing? Because at least from the balanced team perspective, like you're not going to need to know anything about engineering. You're going to need to know anything from the business, but you're going to have to know like 110% about like the user. And so, um, yeah, as much user obsession as you can convey. What other questions do we have? I think we have time for one more. What piece of advice would you give to your younger self starting out in product management? Great question. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with mine again, the patience piece. Um, but also, if I were to do product management, I, the, the, the challenge for me now is when I started product management, I mean, I've been doing product management for 10 plus years, and I, I think maybe it's been around for 15 years, kind of. Um, and so I think today versus, versus now, I would still kind of say when I talk to product managers, um, give yourself, um, some grace where you don't have to know everything. Um, know that you have a team to support you, knowing that they have different expertises that you can rely on that you can work with. So in that instance, being willing to say, I don't know, and being willing to go to someone who will help you. And it's not a show of, your incompetence. It's not a show of that you're not doing your job right. It's the show of you have the um, grit inside of you to say, hey, I need more information here. And then that chance of being patient as well. That patient of just giving your time yourself to learn and then also giving yourself the opportunity to grow the career in the right way. Uh, I would say relationships, 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 relationships. Like from the minute you start your career, um, build those relationships with people. Um, Build trust. Have candid conversations. Keep them in your Rolodex. I, I've had several people now that I've helped find jobs or helped bring them to my team or, or things like that. So build those relationships. Build that team of people who can support you. And, you know, build your network. Like, if a product does fail, and it will, um, you'll need them. Relationships. Um, I guess to go back to what I was 
saying a little bit earlier is just um, whenever you think about your next position, uh, make sure that the place that you want to land does have the right product culture because you want to learn as much as you can about doing product right before um, as you're sewing and laying the foundation for your career. Uh, and so just like being really thorough and making sure that like how they think about things, like are they reading inspired by Marty Kagan? Like, do they know like, um, like the, what's their process around customer discovery? Like how, how does product design and engineering work together? Like these are important questions that you could ask the organization before joining because um, these are going to be really formative years and, and that experience will help you with like, doesn't matter what industry or organization that you go to next. Yeah, I would say interview the company that you're going to go work at. It's, it's a two-way street. You know, you are really interviewing them and they're interviewing you, but also look at their experience and their background because those are the people that you're going to learn so much from and you really want to understand what is their history. Um, you're going to be spending years, hours with these people. Um, what are you going to, how is that going to help you in your career and what are you going to learn as well as contribute to that company? Um, I think is really, I think back to my career and I think of all the people that have touched, you know, my career and it's really because of the people that I worked with and their experience level. Um, skill sets is the other thing I, w- I would emphasize. Try to build out your skill sets, build out specialties. Um, you know, it, it, it will take you into different opportunities that you never thought of, but it's good to have kind of a core, um, set of skills. All right. Thank you so much to everyone for, for coming. And thank you especially to these four brilliant ladies for joining us today. Can we please give them a round of applause? Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. I hope you enjoyed that panel discussion. You'll find the notes of the discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 199. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.